Well, we've come to the 11th week in our fall series of uh, kind of reversing the question that Jesus asked his disciples. It's a pivotal question. If you look at the Gospel of Mark, there are 16 chapters. Chapter 8, he has this question, who do people say that I am? And, you know, there are different responses. And then he narrows it down, who do you say that I am? Speaking to the 12, Peter comes up with, you are the Christ. And from chapter 8 to chapter 16, he just heads to the cross. Now it's been revealed who he is. So he's actually living into it in front of them. And, and so along that same pattern, I wish that the disciples would have said to Jesus, who do you say we are? Or who do you say, Jesus, that I am? And uh, to get clarity that we might live into who God has created us to be. And so the, that was kind of the heart of this series. And we've come up with, I believe, 11 things that are biblical that Jesus might have, probably would have responded back to the disciples. And so this is a, a little bit of a review that you were known before creation, before God made anything, he had you in mind before he made everything. That, that's a pretty special place to, to be. Now, that's not something that, that I dreamt of. That's what God's word said. Uh, also, that you are created, you and I are created in the image of God. Unlike all other things that God created, when people look at us, there is an image imprinted on us of who God is. And the problem is sometimes we believe that press. We believe that we kind of are God and we take some liberal uh, directions to, to kind of play that out. And we, we discover that we let ourselves down. Not only letting God down, but we let ourselves down so that we're broken, we're fallen. We are what's called sinful. Now, that word sin in the Bible, the Greek word is hamarchia. It means to miss the mark. And so when you sin, you miss the mark of who you want to be and who God would have you be. And then because God has a plan with you in mind, he sent his son Jesus as a redeemer, a redeemer who gave his life. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, sins can't be forgiven. We are sinful. Jesus lives a perfect life. He dies on the cross with a perfect life. So he takes our sin on himself. His blood pays for our sin, which makes us in the eyes of God sinless. We get Christ's rightness or righteousness and that he makes us a new creation. We're just not a, a, a better one of ourselves. Uh, a, a better or new addition. We are a brand new creation. The old is gone. We need to let go of that. The new has come. And part of that newness is being a child of God. And, and, but not just a child of God, but an adopted child of God. With the understanding that back in the day, in that culture, you could get rid of your own biological kids lots of ways, lawfully. You could give them away, but once you adopted a child, you made that choice and you could never undo that choice. That's why that is so powerful. We are eternally adopted. 
never to be let go of by God. And then there's a purpose to our life. He has called us. Called kaleo means to set apart, called out of. There's a reason for us being here. And that we are empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we are gifted, which means we come with preloaded software for the kingdom of God, for a task that God designed ahead for us to do, and that we are gathered as a community to support each other. In fact, I have it here on this leather band, called, empowered, gifted, gathered, and sent, to remind me, facing this way, of who I am, wherever I go. And so the, the last one, number 11, is that we are sent. There is a um, part of the purpose is that we are to move out for a particular task. And before we talk about that, let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for your word. May your Holy Spirit take these words that are written on your pages and write them on our hearts and transform us to be more like Jesus. And if there would be anything that would hinder us hearing and becoming more like Jesus, I pray that you would remove it. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Last words are important. And it's fun in history, and, and we don't have time to go and see the last things some very famous people said, and, and they will cause you to, to, to chuckle. I have put my last words on a granite tombstone that folks can read after I am long gone. Uh, but last words are important. What would you want your last words to be? What should they be? And who would they be to? What we have this morning in the gospel according to Matthew are the last words of Jesus to his disciples. Last words are important. I want you to notice he didn't say, hey, it was great being with you. See you on the other side. He gave them a task. He gave them a mission. He gave them marching orders to carry out what he had been doing, and uh, which is the most important work in the universe. We're going to look at that last uh, section, his last words in the Gospel of Matthew. They come in Matthew 28, and they're from uh, 16 to about 20. Hear God's word. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, many folks would just pass by that. Okay, Galilee, it's kind of out away from Jerusalem. And uh, it was a mountain. No big deal. But in fact, the fact that it was to a mountain is a very big deal. Now, when the President of the United States speaks, uh, he or she could speak from anywhere in the world. They get them coming and going and all of that. But when the President of the United States sits at his desk in the Oval Office with the American flag behind them, you know something is happening. This is a big deal. There's only four or five times in my lifetime that I remember a president doing that. This was a significant thing. When, when Jesus goes in the, in the Bible, significant things with God happen 
on mountains or what the Bible would call high places. When God called the people to himself out of, out of uh, Egypt, they came to the base of Mount Sinai and God revealed himself to his people and his laws to his people. That was a very significant time. Jesus chose his disciples on the top of a mountain. Jesus' most famous sermon was called Sermon on the Mount, Mountain. Uh, the transfiguration where the disciples got to see Jesus for who he was in a brief instant was on a mountain. The voice of God came from the mountain. And, and Jesus was crucified on a mountain. There are things, significant things, so these words that Jesus is going to give his disciples are important because he gives them from a mountain. And when they saw him, the text says, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, Jesus had the authority of God to do his mission. And on his mission, he did it in the authority of God. He gave his life in his own authority. And so he now is saying all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am giving it in sending you. Now, I don't know when you had a time of authority in your life where you had real power and authority. Only a couple times in my life did that happen. One was I was the lifeguard at Northwest Swim Club. I sat in high places on a guard chair. My authority came not in the orange Speedo, and I hate for that vision for you all, but <laughs> that will stay with you probably all night. Anyway, but my whistle, my whistle, I could stop kids in their tracks. I could get them out of the pool. I could send them home. I could stop parents. I had authority with, I had all the authority of the Northwest Swim Club at my command. Jesus has all the authority in heaven and on earth. And he's giving that authority. He's using that authority to send others in the path that he was walking. All authority in heaven and on earth. He gave them that authority to do their mission. So what were they to do? If you read the text, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This passage is probably one of the most famous passages in all of the New Testament. It's called the Great Commission. This is not a great suggestion. This is a command the command in here, he has given them authority to make disciples. Now, 
Okay, well, what the heck is a disciple that we're supposed to make? A disciple in its basic form is a student, a pupil, a learner. A disciple sits at the feet of a teacher and learns. You are to go the command and make learners. Well, what are they supposed to learn? Well, before you can disciple, you've got to be a disciple. Because what they are actually learning is how you live your life in relationship to how, who God is. So he's calling them to make disciples. Now, Paul, the apostle, gives us the recipe for this as he talks to the church in Thessalonian, the Thessalonians in Thessalonica, in 2 Thessalonians 7:8, Paul says, We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother caring for her own children. What a tender picture. We came in tenderness, being so affectionately desirous of you that we were ready not with to share with you not only the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, but our very lives as well. We came to live questionable lives among you. We came so that we would love you in such a way that you would say, wait, 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 wait. Why are you doing this? And why are you doing that? And the answer is because of Jesus Christ. Because we love you in Christ and we want you to know Jesus Christ. That's what it means as Paul made disciples. And so he says, go and do this thing. Love people to love Jesus Christ. Now, does that sound really difficult? Go love people to love Jesus Christ. When they see the Jesus in you, they will want the Jesus that you have. That's the marching orders that Jesus commands. Go and make disciples. Now, he said you do that with three different components. The first thing you do, and it's the red word there, you go. Now, when you and I see that word go in that context, it's like, okay, well, the church on Tuesday night is going to go knock on some doors, ask people some questions, see if they want to invite Christ into their lives. That's not what that word means. That word is a present active participle. It means a, a verb of continuous actions. The real, the, the correct translation would be in the process of going, make disciples. In the process of going, make disciples. It, it's like the church um, at Mandarin, we were at, at Mandarin Presbyterian Church. There was an Anglican church just down the road. And it was this cute little church and uh, had a white picket fence around it and the parking lot. And as you headed out the out of the parking lot, there was a sign on the post that says, you are now entering the mission field. That's exactly what this verse is saying. As you go... As you drive away from here, 
Go make disciples. You are entering the mission field. So when you go to work, you are entering the mission field. When you go to the grocery store, you're entering the mission field. When you go across the street to have a conversation with the neighbor, you're entering the mission field. In the process of going, love people questionably so that they ask why because of the way you love Jesus. That's what he's telling them to, to do. Model out what Christ did. And then it says, not only are you in the process of going, you make disciples, but in the process of going, making disciples, you are also present, active, tense, participle, you are baptizing. Now, does that mean we need to carry a canteen of water with us and everywhere we go? You know, Jesus, splash. You know, Jesus, splash. You don't know Jesus, well, splash. I mean, is it, what do we do with this continuous baptizing? We baptize continuously in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is an outward sign of what happens on the inside, the cleansing that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So in other words, in the process of going and making disciples, you tell them about the Father's love through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit for them, that they were known before creation, that they are empowered. You, you let them know in such a way that you invite them to get in on it, to make a decision about it. And then the third component, you're to go and keep going as you go. You are to keep baptizing, telling them about Jesus, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then you are to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And you might say, oh, Jerry, I'm not a, I'm not a teacher. I, I don't have that gift. Well, you are a discipler whether you know it or not. And you go, well, what do you mean? I love this picture from the Saturday Evening Post. Norman Rockwell did it many years ago. And what do you see? It's Sunday morning. Dad is reading the Sunday paper. Dad is slouched down, hopefully not seen by the rest of the family as they head off to church. But dad is discipling them. Look at the little boy. Where are his eyes? His eyes are on his dad. He's learning what dad doesn't. This isn't important to dad. That father is discipling his child away from the kingdom of God. So the truth is, we disciple people wherever we go by the way we act. We are teaching people about the kingdom of God. A lot of times it's right on and kingdom-like and there's 
times in my life where it's not the kingdom-like and people are watching. So whether you see yourself as a discipler or a teacher, you are teaching. You are teaching your children. You are teaching your grandchildren. You are teaching your friends. You're teaching your neighbors. You're teaching the car behind you when you have your Jesus sticker on and you've blown the horn at them the whole time because they were going to slow. And so it's not that we are those things, but are we those things for the kingdom of God? And that's why it's a command. That's not why it's just a suggestion. It's, it's just not, oh, by the way, if you want to, it is a command that we are to do this. But, but it says teaching all that Christ has taught them to do. Can you go back to that verse? Or the, yeah, just back one slide. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, what comes to your mind? What comes to my mind? Well, if you're going to teach what Jesus commands, you're going to say, well, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you certainly can't do that, and you can't do that, and only on this day can you do this. Isn't that when we think of Jesus' commands? But what were Jesus' commands? In the Gospel of John, a new command I give you, that you would love one another as I have loved you. And when the rich young ruler came and says, Teacher, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? What did he say? Love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus commanded us is certainly undergirded by the Ten Commandments and undergirded by, by kingdom ways, but it's all done that we are to love people into the kingdom. We are to serve people into the kingdom. That's what this means. I love it here at, at the church. A uh, number of folks were, were working on this initiative called the Epic Initiative. And Epic means above and beyond. And we just took the first letters from how we wanted to teach each other in this church. And it's we want to encourage progress in Christ-likenesses. Encourage progress in Christ-likeness. That's what we want to do with each other. That's how we teach each other as a part of the Great Commission. And that's what it's called. This text is called the Great Commission. It's appropriate. Because the word calm means with. And the word mission means uh, to do a specific task where a person or a group is charged. A calm mission means that we're on mission with, with God. How do we know that? Because look what the text says. It says, and behold, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. Go and teach, observing all that I have commanded. Do you know what the King James says? And lo, I am with you all the days of, all to the end of the age. The NIV says, and surely I am with you to the end of the age. And I always wanted my name to be low, not so much surely, but to say, oh, low, oh, oh Jerry, 
I am with you to the end of the age. But the, the ESV has it right. That word lo, that word surely are not names. That is behold, don't miss this. I am with you to the end of the age. Psalm 139 says, the Lord goes before us and behind us. He has his hand on us. When we are in the great commission, we're on mission with God. That's what this means. That's what this means. Don't miss it. And you might say, Jerry, I'm not like you. And I would say, good, because you don't want to be like me. You would say, I have doubts. I'm, I'm not as confident. I could never get out there and say anybody. How could I be sent? I want to take you back to the Matthew text. Look what it says. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. And if you are allowed to underline in your Bible, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, get out of here, you doubters, you losers. No, he doesn't say that. He says, Jesus came and said to them all, the worshipers and the doubters, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. He sent the worshipers and the doubters. He commanded the worshipers and the doubters to go make disciples. On top of that, he commissioned 11. Nowhere in the Bible does 11 make sense. It's an imperfect number. He sent an imperfect number of people to do a perfect task for the kingdom of God. How could he do that? Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. I'm not going anywhere. And all authority on earth and on heaven has been given to me. I'm with you. I give you not only me, I give you the authority. Go make disciples. Go make disciples. And then here's what you might say too. Oh, Jerry, what would I say? Well, here, I got 11 things. You tell them they were known before the world began. You tell them that they were created in the image of God. They're unique to all of creation. You tell them that even though they've missed the mark, they're fallen, they're sinful, they've been redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. They are a new creation. The old is gone. They are a child of God, eternally adopted into the family. There's a purpose for their life. They are gifted. They are empowered. They are gifted. They are gathered. And they are sent. That's what you tell them. And you tell them in love. You let them in on what God is doing. That's what we do. That's what we are to do. Now, here's the, maybe the most surprising thing of all. These are so powerful. But, if you don't do the last thing, it will negate the other 10. If you choose not to tell, 
if you keep it to yourself, if you do not commission with God, the other 10 will disappear. Because if there's no one to tell, no one will know. And right now, in the midst of, of, of this service, I hope there's a special place in your heart for the person who came and told you. Because they were sent to love you and you discovered the other 10 that you would not have discovered without them. Beth Moore tells a story and uh, it's something that Lori has told me several times and I, I, I love the story. And she, she went to an impoverished country. She was on a mission trip and the country was very poor and she was there with some missionaries and she was there teaching the, the Bible that she does so well. But the missionaries were handing out sacks of seed so that these families could take the seed and to, to put it out in the field and grow crops that they would feed not only themselves, but their family and the families in the community and the next generation. That it was, it was hope, it was everything they needed. And the missionaries and Beth Moore stood in horror as they took the seeds and they poured them out of the bags into boiling pots of water. And they cooked the seeds and they ate them. And they kept the seeds for themselves. And so the seeds were never planted the crops to feed others for generations to come. And when we who are Christians don't share the seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we choose not to be sent, then the word does not multiply and people do not hear the gospel. And so many of us in church sit every week taking in seeds for our own nourishment that do not get planted anywhere else. And so the gospel is not seen or heard or known. And probably our biggest fear is in sharing the gospel because of what others will think. When it comes down to it, we are afraid. I love our verse, John 20, 21, that we kind of stumbled on in January of 2021. The context is, it's the night that Jesus um, rises from the tomb. It's Easter Sunday. The disciples have been locked in the upper room ever since the crucifixion, fearing for their lives. 
They heard that the tomb was empty, but they were afraid behind locked doors. And Jesus appears to them according to the writings of John. And what does Jesus say when he comes into this frightened band who are afraid legitimately for their lives? His first word is peace be with you. Wholeness, non-anxiety, relax. But then these words, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And so as a church, we've said, okay, we are not going to live in fear because of COVID. We're, we're not going to live in fear. We're going to live still sharing the gospel wherever we go. I love, uh, when I was in seminary, Princeton, some would call it Princeton Cemetery, but Princeton Seminary, uh, on Thursdays, uh, once a month, the evangelicals, at that time that word was very powerful and a clear representation of the gospel, would have lunch and we would invite outside speakers. Well, it was a privilege to invite um, the uh, Richard Halverson, who was the chaplain of the United States Senate, made his way to Princeton, New Jersey, to our lunch. And uh, he, he was just marvelous as he talked about uh, going from Hollywood Press and then chaplain of the Senate and praying with senators and, and his ministry there. And then he left with a benediction that is probably what he's most famous for. And it's the way he would conclude the services at Hollywood Press, and he would conclude when he would have uh, time with the senators as the chaplain of the Senate. So <clears throat> it goes like this. You go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you there. Wherever you are, God has put you there. He has a purpose in your being there. Christ, who indwells in you, has something he wants to do through you, wherever you are. Believe this and go in his grace and love and power. Amen. Now, I have taken that and I've taken the verse of John 20, 21 because it is his promise for us today. And I have taken Richard Halverson's benediction and put it on a card, and we've got him out there at that door and out this door, and I would just encourage you to take it and, and tape it to the mirror in the bathroom, tape it to the, uh, maybe the glove box in your car, tape it to your desk, so that you would be reminded that you are nowhere by accident that God has divine appointments for you wherever you go. You are indwelt with Jesus Christ, and where you are, you are there for a purpose. Might you and I, every morning, take this promise to heart, and may we be surprised every day at the different places that he will meet us and use us in his name. You think about that. Amen. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father.
you had a plan, a purpose for our lives. Long before the world was created, you knew us and made us in your image, and we are fallen, broken, we've blown it. But you said we're worth saving, and so you redeemed us in Jesus, and then you, you made us something brand new. And you called us your child. You gave us a purpose. And you empowered us with your Holy Spirit. You gifted us. You gathered us. And then you sent us. Oh, Lord, may we know your presence before us and behind us. And may we watch what you do. And if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, who doesn't know you to be their Savior, it just comes with that act of faith, of belief, that on the cross, all our sins are paid for by faith in Jesus Christ. And then it, it all becomes new. May it be new today for folks in this room and folks listening to this message. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.